After a lifetime of researching the dynamic and enigmatic world of light entertainment, I've decided to ditch my notebook and meet the people who inspire me. What makes them the people they are? How do they feel about the show business landscape in which they find themselves? And in a world where anyone can be a star, is there still a need for performers who have universal appeal? Come with me on a journey of discovery as I get a unique insight into Britain's favourite stars with a little help from my glamorous assistants. Yeah, well, I say glamorous, more like hazardous. And of course, we'll have a bit of fun along the way. Comedian and ventriloquist Steve Hewlett shot to fame in 2013 when he wowed both the judges and crowd on Britain's Got Talent with a little help from homemade puppets of Simon Cowell and Sunita. By this time, Steve had already tasted success, becoming the new voice of Educating Archie, paying homage to the great Peter Bruff. First in 2006 on the request of Sir Terry Wogan, and then for the critically acclaimed play in 2012, based on the life of the popular 50s event. I was interested to hear from the voice behind the characters and get his take on the future of this ancient art form. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Steve Hewlett. Britain has enjoyed a rich legacy of vent acts over the past 60 years, from Peter Bruff to Ray Allen, Roger DeCourcy, Keith Harris and others. Who were your idols growing up? When I started learning to be a ventriloquist, there was a TV talent show called New Faces in 1987 and I was 12 years old. Uh, I watched that show and there was a ventriloquist called Jimmy Tamley on, on that show and he taught me to be a ventriloquist. I knocked on his door the day after he won the grand final and asked him if he'd teach me. He started giving me lessons and then I became his roadie. I roadied for him for 10 years. But just uh, in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, there was a ventriloquist in England called Ron Lucas doing a TV show over here. And he's from Los Angeles. And Ron Lucas had Scorch the Dragon, a great puppet. And Buffalo Billy were his main characters. And he's the one who inspired me as well. So there's Jimmy Townley, Ron Lucas, and Keith Harris, who we recently lost, uh, Keith and Orville. So that, those three were my, my big inspirations when I started. The art of throwing your voice is difficult to master. When was the first time you realised you had this specific talent? Uh, I, I started to learn as soon as I saw Jimmy Tamley on, on the TV talent show. I went straight up to my room and took out my hand and started practising in the mirror. A, A, B, B, C, C, D, D, E, E, F, F, G, G, H, H, I, I, J, J, K, K, L, L, M, N, 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 O, L, P, P, Q, Q, R, R, S, S, T, T, U, U, V, V, W, W, X, X, Y, Y, Z. Good night. So that's how I started learning, by doing the alphabet. And uh, I went down to show my parents probably a few days later, and they said, you're, you're quite a good ventriloquist for age 12. And my technique was there almost from the beginning. So I just worked on that technique and then the diction of the letters and the words. And then uh, Jimmy Townley, he gave me a lot more of the more difficult lessons, uh, which was mainly uh, taking the show on the stage and dealing with hecklers and working different venues. So uh, it, it takes a lot of components really to be a ventriloquist. You have to uh, learn the technique, then you need to learn a bit of comedy. And writing material is difficult. And then uh, you have to be a good puppeteer. So uh, all those components make a good ventriloquist act and trying to be as an original as possible. So, uh, so yeah, the technique came at age 12, at 12 and a half. And uh, from that early age, I actually became a 
quite technically um, uh, proud of my technique. You know, it's, it's, it's quite good from an early age. Now, in terms of big breaks, I guess the biggest was Britain's Got Talent in 2013. What were your previous thoughts on the show and reality television as a whole? Being a professional uh, ventriloquist for 20 years when I'd done the show, it was difficult to go on Britain's Got Talent for that reason, uh, because you, they can make or break you. If the, if the uh, judges actually said something bad about a professional act, then uh, the agents they worked for the last 20 years might stop using you. If they say something really good, then you might get more work. I was very lucky when I went on the show and I got into the semi-finals, and then I made it into the finals, and um, it went my way, which was, uh, you know, I took a huge risk on the show. So really, as a professional, you're looking at it kind of as an amateur show, but now you see a lot more professional acts. A lot of my friends go on the show, and uh, and you see them do really well, and you get one, maybe two or three of them in the final, um, but it's... It is a big risk for a professional act to take. Is there a stigma around being connected to a talent show? I think there is because you're you're competing with other people, and then I came fourth on the show. I joke about that even five years later, but um, I'm not bitter at all. I I love the fact that I've done the show because it launched me uh, further up the ladder, you know, and it opened a lot of doors for me. Um, but there, there is a stigma, I think, because um, you know if you come if you don't win the show. They don't think you're good enough, you know. But if it was a show for ventriloquists and I came fourth, I would have been more upset. So, because as a ventriloquist, you're going to want to be the best, you know. So, um, competing with singers and, and dogs and children and stuff is, is really difficult to um, to compare those acts. You know, a, singing, a singer singing Ness and Dorma or, or um, a, a magician that's just, you know, made the studio disappear. Uh, it's, they're completely different acts. You know, if you're telling jokes and you've got hand-up puppets... Uh, they've got to be good puppets and they've got to be funny jokes as well. So you you have to be completely different. Um, so the stigma really is uh, you, you can wash away the stigma by actually being innovative and um, carrying on after the show, which um, I believe that I've done sort of doing tours of the country and uh, doing my own theatre shows and making my act stronger. And my act is getting longer and stronger every year that I tour. So... It's, it's definitely helped me. So if there's a stigma or not, it's kind of fading away where, where my act is concerned. Now, this wasn't your first brush with entertainment, as in 2006, the late, great Terry Wogan commissioned you to write and perform a tribute to Peter Brough. What sort of accolade was that? And what are your memories of Wogan? I only met Wogan on uh, on one occasion uh, it was a book signing and he was really pleased that Archie Andrews was coming back Archie was bought at an auction for 40,000 pounds in 2006 down here in Sussex and I was auditioned along with about five or six other ventriloquists to be the voice of Archie Andrews and when I told Wogan this at the book signing he was um, he wrote in my book to the new voice of Archie Andrews and uh, best wishes Wogan we had a very brief chat but he was delighted he mentioned it on his radio 2 show and um, and he is a legend, you know, he, he was a big fan of Archie, like a lot of people were. And the Archie Andrews dummy has a lot of history around it. So it created people like Tony Hancock, Bruce Forsyth, Max Bygraves. It made a lot of people famous. So Wogan saw that, you know, he remembered that. And he was pleased that, you know, we were coming back with a show. So I co-wrote a show with Colin Burnett Dick, who actually owns the dummy. And spent all that money on uh, an expensive piece of wood in some nice clothes. <laughs> and um, 
I was very pleased and really enjoyed writing the show. You know, it's rewriting history literally, mm. and it was a it was a fun show to do as well. Um, so I wasn't really playing Peter Bruff, but I kind of was in a way because I was the voice and I had Archie Andrews on my knee. But there were people playing Hattie Jakes and Max Bygraves, Harry Seacombe. We we played it like it was uh, Peter Bruff and Archie on stage uh, in the radio studio, which is um, just the, the best year I had actually just enjoying a bit of show business, you know. That wasn't my act. It was fantastic to be part of. Did you ever have to make out that you were rubbish at it to stay true to uh, Peter oh, Brown? Oh, very good. Great question there. Um, did I move my lips? Through the, you know, um, I think I didn't when I when I said that I didn't actually play Peter Brough, um I'm not an impressionist and I'm not an actor, so I am a ventriloquist. So when I used Archie on the stage, it probably would have been the first time you'd seen a ventriloquist not move his lips when Archie was talking. There was a few jokes uh, backstage when Peter Brough was going on tour. Uh, with the live show and Beryl Reed, who was on the show, she played Archie's girlfriend. Um, Peter Braff said to Beryl Reed backstage, um, "Can I ask you a personal question? When, when uh, I'm doing the show, can you see my lips moving?" And uh, Beryl said, "Oh no, no, only when Archie's talking." And uh, that was one of the lines. And then he said to Max Bygraves, um, "I'm a bit worried about my lips." And he said, "Oh, you'll be fine in South End next week. The lighting's really bad." Okay. You know, so. Um, it, there was, you know, it was very well known that uh, Peter Bruff, when he went to TV, his lips were seen to move quite a lot. And that's because he worked on radio for 10 years. And to get the correct diction for radio, he had to move his lips slightly. So the people at home, the 17, mis 17 million listeners could actually hear uh, every word that Archie pronounced. And it had to be correct for BBC Radio. And so uh, in the studio, they could see his lips moving. Um, because he'd done that for 10 years, it was successful on that radio show. Uh, he lost the technique um, because he was doing the technique, moving his lips, and he just lost it. Uh, but in the early stages, Peter Bruff was a great technical ventriloquist. It was just uh, the success that he had on the radio ruined his technique as a ventriloquist, which is very sad. But uh, I'll never forget that. I know he was a master of what he'd done. And that ended his career? Um, it didn't end his career. It's, he was in, working in textiles for many years. His father was in textiles, and so he kind of took over the business. So uh, when the radio show finished, he toured a few shows. He put on some Christmas shows for the royal family at Windsor Castle, and um, and he booked all their Christmas parties. But then that faded away, I believe, in the 70s, maybe the early 80s. And Archie was retired in the box for about 30, 40 years. So... He just retired, really, and then he passed away in 1999, and then uh, Archie was sold at auction seven years later. So uh, it didn't end his career, but it wasn't great for television. The TV show was cancelled, um, so I think he just he, he made less and less appearances, you know, around the country. But he still done the live shows, but he didn't do the radio show after it ended. That was it. So. Uh, although I think they wanted to transition to television, but once the radio show was over and they saw his technique wasn't that great, people didn't believe Archie was real anymore and there was no call for it, I guess. Coming into the present day, how have entertainers like Paul Zerdin and Nina Conti helped to put ventriloquism back on the entertainment map? I think YouTube has been a big help uh, bringing back ventriloquism because you had people like Jeff Dunham, 
and uh, he, he had uh, Ahmed the dead terrorist, which went worldwide. Uh, Jeff has been like a superstar ventriloquist in America for about 25 years. And it wasn't until we put this clip on YouTube, we'd done a TV special for Central uh, Comedy Central, that he went worldwide. And then he started touring all over the world in arenas. So Jeff Dunham brought ventriloquism back. Nina Conti and Paul Surgeon has done really well in this country for keeping it on television. And uh, there's great ventriloquists out there over in America. America's Got Talent. Um, you had a young girl called Darcy Lynn win last year. She was 12 years old. She was a singing ventriloquist. And 12 years before her was Terry Fater, who was also a singing ventriloquist. And so um, Paul Zerdin won America's Got Talent. That's three ventriloquists over there. And I can't help but thinking if I didn't do Britain's Got Talent, if I went to America, I wouldn't have come forth. <laughs> so... Um, you know, they love them more over there, I think, than they do here. So I believe I was very lucky, you know, becoming fourth. Did, didn't Paul Zerden win the Big Big Talent Show in the 90s, uh, which was yes, hosted by Jonathan Ross? Yes. Um, he he won a Big Big Talent Show in 1997. And, uh, no, sorry, 1996. And I was on it in 1997, uh, but I didn't come anywhere on the show. So, um, so I went away and started writing again. Uh, Paul Zerden... Um, this time he followed me on Got Talent. So he was there a year after me, but he was on America's Got Talent. I believe he, he didn't want to do Britain's Got Talent because the prize is the Royal Variety mm. Show. And um, and he'd already done it three or four times, whereas I haven't done the Royal Variety Show. So it was you know made sense for me to go for it. And so he went for America's Got Talent and um, he upped the game, which was great. You know, So it's fantastic for him to go over to America mm. and um, experience that, which is Fantastic. Now you're just about to embark on a nationwide tour. Can you sum up the show for us? Uh, last year I started this tour called 30 Years of Talking to Myself and it's really material I've put together over the years that I've been, that I've been, uh, uh, you know, just been wanting to do for a long time, like new characters. And uh, I've done a show, Thinking Inside the Box, in 2014. And since then... Like the last three years I've actually changed all the material so I've got a brand new show which is um, literally 30 years of my work and uh, the show is me, me almost doing about two hours on my own and um, I'm doing it up in Blackpool for the summer and uh, I'm doing uh, theatres um, sort of around the country as well so Every year is different. So uh, you'll see me with Simon Cow. I've got uh, my main characters, Pongo the skunk. I've got a little dog called Chi-Chi. Uh, Arthur Lager is the main, main man. So he's in quite a lot of the show. And I now do the mask routine, which was inspired by Ron Lucas, the American ventriloquist. I came over here 30 years ago. Um, he started that mask routine and now most ventriloquists do it. I didn't do the routine till last year. When I worked with Ron Lucas two years ago in Eastbourne and Basingstoke, um, we had a little chat about the mask routine and he said he's starting to make masks to sell to people with certificates, you know, saying where it originally came from. And so Joe Hodgson, who thought up the idea, and Ron Lucas got together and made the mask routine. And I've got a certificate, so uh, I got it from the man himself, really. So um, I didn't really want to do it, but the mask routine is requested wherever I go. So I have to do it in corporates and on cruise ships. And when I worked with the Osmonds uh, the last two years at Christmas, Jimmy Osmond, who was my boss, 
uh, he asked if I would do the mask routine, so I took it out there. And it's kind of grown in my act. It's still not a long part of the show. It's only 10 minutes. But um, an hour and 40 minutes is just my own material and new characters, you know. I got some nice new surprises in my show this year. So I'm going to be ending um, with two brand new spots right at the end of both halves. So um, I like surprising my audiences. And the great thing is a lot of them are repeat people. They come back to see me time after time, which means I've got fans. I didn't think I would ever have fans. It's what Britain's Got Talent has done. So I'm proud of that. And looking back at your career, what is your proudest achievement? I'm, I'm very proud um, of uh, joining the Osmonds on tour because we went to Canada, we went to America, done two years in America at Christmas and tour in the UK with the Osmonds. I mean, that they're an entertainment um, legacy, you know, that whole family is. But Jimmy Osmond, is, he was my boss for two years and... Um, it's, it's just, you know, working with people like that. BGT opened up those doors. I got to work with Kenny G. I've done three gigs with Kenny G, the saxophonist. He's one of my favourite musicians. And we ended that tour at the Royal Albert Hall in 2016. Um, that is one of the most spectacular venues I've worked. And um, uh, I'll never forget, you know, walking on, out on that stage. And yeah, it was a very, very proud moment. So I think the Albert Hall and uh, touring America with the Osmonds, you know, definite, definite highlights. So you've got the tour, but uh, what else is next for Steve Hewlett? Uh, Steve Hewlett. Uh, I'm a very, very proud dad as well. So uh, I'm mainly trying to be a family man, you know, not going away too much. Um, I've got this brand new show called uh, Arthur Lager's Big Night In, which we're launching in Eastbourne. And uh, and we're doing it about four times a year. And uh, it's it's basically a TV show, but without the cameras. Um, so this is Arthur Lager and I will host it. We've got a live band. We've got a friend of ours who's going to be front in the live band. He's called Rich T, and he's a character actor. Uh, and his band is called The Hobnobs. So it's Rich T and The Hobnobs. Um, we're going to be doing raffles and there's game shows. We've got celebrity guests coming down every time we do the show. And I've got always got a comedy act on with me, uh, or a comedy variety act. You know, so it's a full two-hour show with a live dance set at the band, with a live band. So um, th this is something I'm concentrating on, is bringing variety back to Eastbourne. And, you know, while I'm doing this, it means I'm home with the children and being a dad and a husband. Uh, so it, it's grounded me, really. I've always wanted to do a, a regular show in my hometown. So this is what I'm doing. And uh, and it's very exciting. We open in two weeks. So I can't wait for that. And also uh, doing my season up in Blackpool. Uh, hopefully I'll get a couple of years out of that summer season in Blackpool. That's something I really wanted to do with my own show. So I'm back there at the Paradise Rooms. Mm. Um, I remember seeing Little and Large there in 1995. So it's kind of a nice... N nice dream for me, you know, good old variety acts. Yeah, so um, uh, me really, I'm just, I just keep writing. I'm, I'm writing a, a TV documentary and a, doc, uh, a book on uh, ventriloquism. Uh, it's not on how to do it. It's on ventriloquists of the past that we've been talking about and, and a lot more that people might or might not remember, you know. So uh, it's kind of fading away with this generation that we have now. And they're only going to remember Paul Zerdin, Nina Conti, and myself, and Britain's Got Talent, and um, mm. Jeff Dunham, all the ones on YouTube, you know. So uh, it, 
it's, it's nice really if I get my documentary out there in my book then they can learn a bit more about who was before me you know so I don't, yeah. want, I don't want them to forget about Keith Harris or Ray Allen and Lord Charles mm-hmm. Roger and Nookie you know because it's a, it's a really fun art that I think people should look back on and just you know it can be a, a fun thing it brings people's uh, childhood memories back as well you know everyone's got memory of Orville the Duck or um, Archie Andrews yeah. you know if they're in their 70s <laughs> So every generation remembers a ventriloquist, you yeah. know, and I may come forth. They may have forgotten about me already, but I am on YouTube. <laughs> you can Google me. So um, I love doing what I do. It's a great art, you know, but it's um, it's difficult to keep going. So you have to keep reinventing yourself. And that's what I hope that I do. Thank you very much to our guest for being the subject of another Beyond the Title interview. If you like this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything else that takes your fancy. Don't forget to like our Facebook page to receive updates on forthcoming interviews and to see more information about me and what I do. Thanks again and hopefully see you next time for another Beyond the Title interview.